I'd like to welcome everyone to the Roxborough Roundtables. My name is Elena Fithian and I am the student coordinator for the tables. Today our topic is congressional funding and health policy, the impact of partisanship on cell stem research and abortion rights by our Arlen Specter fellow, Professor Sean Kelly. Hi, I'm Sean Kelly. I'm a professor and chair of political science at California State University, Channel Islands, uh, and of course a Specter fellow this year. Uh, my research has focused for many years on the appropriations process uh, and especially how the appropriations process has broken down uh, over the last few years to the point where uh, we're essentially unable to fund the government and, and so we get these government shutdowns as a result of that. Uh, my name is Alexander Gordon. I'm a bio major here at Jefferson. I'm Brian Eust, an assistant professor of physics here at Jefferson. Jeff Albert, <clears throat> been involved in politics, including some with Senator Specter before he became a senator uh, back in the 60s and uh, still active today. Evan Lane, I'm the director of the All Specter Center. I'm Caitlin Hong, I'm a PA major at Jefferson. Um, so, I said my name was Sean Kelly, but you can call me Ahab. Uh, and my white whale has been the appropriations process in Congress. The appropriations process is the process by which uh, Congress spends money. So politicians can have any good idea that they want uh, about something that should happen, but they rely on the appropriations process to actually fund those ideas. Um, the reason that this is uh, particularly important to me is that uh, Senator Specter served on the subcommittee uh, called Labor H for short, but the Labor Health and Human Services Subcommittee of the Senate Appropriations Committee. And that's the committee that is particularly dysfunctional uh, within both chambers of Congress, House and Senate, uh, because it deals with so many issues having to do with health uh, but especially with women's health issues like abortion. And so it, it deals with these hot button issues that then oftentimes get attached to other uh, issues. Uh, you know, the current research focuses on stem cell research and, and that very quickly gets attached to, uh, to the politics of abortion in particular. Uh, the way I go about my research is uh, sort of two prongs. Uh, one of them is archival. So Senator Specter spends a career in the Senate, and when he's done, he ships his papers off to this university. Uh, and it's at that point that I'm able to go back, kind of like an archeologist, to try to reconstruct what happened in a particular policy process or a particular uh, political situation or something like that. So it's partly uh, archaeology, but then the other part of it is that I do a lot of interviews with former members of Congress, members of Congress, uh, current and former staff, um, because not everything is written down. So the papers are necessarily incomplete, uh, but by going to staff and people who were in the room when these decisions were made, I'm able to sort of fill in those blanks. And that's where uh, where the Spectre papers come in, they're unusually rich, uh, having spent only a week so far in the collection of the 
enormous amount of information, uh, especially on the stem cell issue, which is one that was, uh, it, it was seemed to be very personal to him, uh, this issue of making sure that biomedical research was going forward uh, and stem cell research in particular. Uh, where that places my research is at this weird intersection between uh, appropriations, science, and social policy, uh, because they're all tied up around this particular issue. Um, my, my goal over the course of uh, a number of years has been to study politicians who also exist at a kind of a, a, a nexus of, on the one hand, constituency interests, on another hand, uh, making good public policy, and then on the third hand, uh, exercising influence or power within the institution. Um, and Spectre really fits the bill on all three of these scores. Uh, first, with regard to constituency interests, um, he's representing Pennsylvania, which is an interesting state. It's uh, ideologically diverse, and it has changed. It changed over the course of his career. Uh, you probably have all heard James Carville's quote that Pennsylvania is a state with Philadelphia on one end, Pittsburgh on the other, and Alabama in between. Um, and so that that mix of ideology is, is a tricky thing as a politician uh, to try to be responsive to. Uh, and he had to spend a lot of time uh, trying to figure out how to balance interests against one another in the state. Um, Pennsylvania is also a state that has uh, tremendous higher education uh, and medical education and research. And so in serving his constituents' interests by focusing on these topics, he's really doing an important job of representing his folks and, and making sure that the people of Pennsylvania um, get the opportunities that they need. Uh, one of the important things to realize about Spectre is that when it came to stem cell research and other medical research, he wasn't using the earmarking process in appropriations to direct that research be done in a particular area, but making sure that the research pie was big enough that if the people of Pennsylvania, the, the medical researchers and, and other folks, um, if they pursued that money, the money would be there, but in a competitive way. Uh, you know, science folks know that the way that science gets funded is on merit. Um, so he was a big proponent of merit-based review. But the key was to make sure that the money was there and Pi was expanding so that you could have those additional opportunities. Uh, then there's the making good public policy part. Um, you know, you want to serve your constituents, but you also want to serve a country. Um, and in his push for funding for the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, um, in funding, uh, increasing funding for that, he's seeing himself really as somebody who's uh, who's making good public policy, um, but always with an eye toward economic development in the state. Uh, and then finally, uh, politicians want to, I mean, they want to be influential, and many of them do uh, want to be influencers. Uh, and that was certainly the case with Spectre. He ran for uh, a number of offices over the years, spent uh, a career in the Senate, but also people forget there were 
was a time, uh, it was very brief, when he ran for president of the United States. Um, and so, uh, you know, all of these things make Spectre a really, really interesting uh, subject for looking at. But, you know, my reason for looking at it has to do with the appropriations piece, uh, has to do with stem cell research, and to some extent abortion, uh, because he was pro-choice. Uh, he tried to uh, be as pro-choice as he could in his votes, but always with that eye toward uh, the fact that Pennsylvania is a really divided diverse state, and, and there are some conservative views. Uh, so now I will sort of throw out uh, an overarching question, um, and it's going to need a little bit of explanation because I'm a college professor and I can't do anything but talk. Um, you know, the the underlying question is how Congress manages the complex relationship between science and democracy. Um, science has its own logic and its own processes, and science would mostly, I think, like Congress to stay out of science until they start thinking about what that means. And the, the federal government spends more money on research than any entity in the United States. So if Congress gets out of science, that means they're taking their money with them. Uh, at the same time, if we're giving money for scientific research, then as a democracy, we expect some accountability for giving over our money to science. And it, that, that accountability part is uh, difficult oftentimes for scientists. They're looking for answers uh, to particular questions. And then you've got the public, uh, including interest groups, and they have their own beliefs and values and demands. And they want science to adhere to those uh, beliefs, values, and demands. Of course, those beliefs, values, and demands are not uniform across all individuals. We disagree on a lot of things. And so here's Congress having to mediate this relationship between the two um, and having some really important uh, implications. Uh, my focus, my research is mostly uh, descriptive and not normative. It's about how Congress does these things, how it deals with these challenges, not so much on the, the normative element of whether these things should be done. Um, I, so I'm less interested in that. Abortion is something that I study. I, of course, have my personal views on the issue, uh, but I'm really interested in, well, how does Congress deal with that issue, not here's what Congress should do. So I'm not, I try as much as I can to not be an advocate. Um, so Congress makes decisions about science by deciding where they're going to allocate research money. And uh, that's a battle in and of itself. Biomedical research, putting money in that, means that maybe we're not studying some other subject uh, in greater depth because the money is not going there. Um, so that creates fertile ground for the question that I stated a second ago, which is how does Congress manage the complex relationship between science and democracy? Um, I think, not that you're leaving something out, but there's something that got involved with the whole stem cell uh, that I became very particularly perturbed by. Because the statement you made 
that Congress should weigh where the money should go, where it's most needed, where it's most, the science leads it, what's better for the people. But with stem cell, that had nothing to do with the decision. Religion had everything to do with the decision. Um, stem cell research came at that point basically from fetal cells. Uh, most, the huge majority of fetal cells came from IVP procedures of eggs that were fertilized and not used. Um, from those eggs that are fertilized and obviously not used, they take the, the cells which most likely lead to good harvest of, of stem cell. Those eggs, if not used, get thrown out anyway. They get thrown out because uh, couples who don't want them, they had their baby or two, they don't like to donate, they're given the opportunity to donate to others because they don't like that because they don't want their kids being with other people, whatever it may be. So they get thrown out, they get put in the garbage, okay? And the scientists said, let's use these cells instead of in the garbage, let's use it. And it, it wasn't a science that was like peripheral. This was really needed. Uh, Parkinson's, cancer, diabetes, there's a, a tremendous amount of things that stem cell research was required for. And it's just so many ways, spinal cord, so much. And the decision was made by the President of the United States and George W. Bush, that um, because he believed that God actually told him in a conversation he had, and I hope he got some good stock tips at the time, that um, this is a life, and as a result, you are doing a sin by doing this. And as a result, policy, medical policy in the United States was not controlled by something you said that we look on it. What is we needed? Is it in heart research? Is it in cancer? You know, it wasn't done in a scientific, logical way, but instead was based upon religion, which according to our Constitution, we have to have a wall between us. So I was particularly perturbed by that, and uh, my research regarding all inspectors, so was he uh, in making his statement. So I'm going back to you on this appropriate appropriations thing is when does, you said you balance democracy, but when does the extraneous forces, which have nothing to do with democracy, but should be involved in our decision-making process under the First Amendment, suddenly start making these decisions? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a tricky thing because I guess what I would argue uh, at this point, not taking a position, is that you know, people's religious views are as legitimate as their views on anything else. And so that people would uh, establish a position based on religious belief and then try to lobby Congress to get Congress to act on that religious belief uh, is you know, entirely appropriate in a, in a pluralist society. It doesn't necessarily uh, result, as in this case, in doing what's best for science. And uh, President Bush at that time said, well, we have enough of these stem cell lines, we can just work with the ones that we have, uh, which turned out to be uh, quite inaccurate. He cited something like 70 or 75 stem cell lines. And um, it, as Spectre really pushed Bush, and he pushed HHS uh, on these issues, it began to emerge that, in fact, there weren't really this many lines that were truly available and 
useful for research, uh, that there were additional scientific problems with limiting to a certain number of lines, uh, which maybe we get to and maybe we don't. Um, and, you know, here's politics. So one of the interesting things that I found in the collection uh, was a whole exchange between uh, Spectre and the then uh, director of, uh, of HHS, uh, Tommy Thompson, where Spectre had sent out to the directors of all the uh, institutes of health and said, tell me how limiting to these lines is, how is that going to affect the work that's done when you know, it gets to lung cancer and all of that. And each one of them wrote a very detailed response to that question, all of them saying, you know, this is a bad thing. Well, they're answerable to HHS. Those responses went to HHS, not to Spectre, and they were uh, edited. Um, they were edited for content that suggested that somehow the president was wrong. And uh, have the documents to show this, not putting them to my imagination. Um, and Spectre Stat went through and said, here are the parts of the original answers that were exercised. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there's very much a downside to having government involved in, in science like this. Uh, this. This is essentially scientific censorship, uh, and it's censorship of the kind that we've seen recently in the Trump administration where they're censoring information on uh, global climate change. Um, in fact, uh, what came of this particular uh, investigation that Spectre and his staff did isn't entirely clear to me. And he was, he was ticked. I mean, and he said it in no uncertain terms. Uh, but there was never an investigation. I haven't been able to find a news story uh, that, that covered this. And, you know, Spectre was a Republican, George W. was a Republican, maybe we want to keep this quiet and just discuss it amongst ourselves. But I, to me, that was uh, one of the more fascinating things that I found, was this idea that this information would be censored. I, I don't know if it's directly related, but it does follow through on this. Because Spectre had a belief, after numerous hearings with trial officials, saying that it, when the people find out about this, I think he's referring to what you just been saying. They'll march in the streets, and they'll come out, and, and he tried to make it public, and nothing happened. And I think what he did is he, he thought he was going to get a response, and he didn't, and that's why maybe he pulled back at that point. Could be. Yeah, he had uh, 21 total hearings on uh, stem cell research, which is really interesting. Uh, from a political science perspective, because um, in political science, there's this assumption that all members are single-minded seekers of real action. That's a quote from David Mankiw. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a theoretical statement that he winds up building on, but it also, it, it comports with what people think about politicians, uh, that they're not really interested in good public policy, they're just interested in getting reelected. You don't have 21 hearings on a subject over the course of uh, almost 20 years um, unless you're really interested in getting the policy right. And Spectre was very interested in getting the policy right. And Tom Harkin, who was uh, 
either ranking member or chairman of the subcommittee with Specter over these years, they were very much in tune with this idea that we're going to use this committee to try to, to shape public opinion, but then also to shape uh, policy. Um, and so, you know, here's somebody who, uh, for all of his concerns about the election, really wanted to use the process to achieve a policy goal. Actually, passed two laws, mm -hmm. and both of them were uh, vetoed. Vetoed, yeah. By, uh, George, by his only to to allow federal funding for stem cell research. Private funding was always allowed; it was never illegal. But um, federal funding, which is absolutely necessary, was forbidden. Other than those lines, which turned out to be also the case at the time, and he he vetoed both of them. It may be his only two vetoes. Which is, uh, which is a really interesting thing because um, stem cell research, privately funded, is, is not outlawed at all. Um, and one of, the, one of the good things about having Congress involved in science policy is that you are able to catch those cases where there's something that is egregious that has actually happened. Um, and so we, we can get that level of oversight that we don't have in the private sector um, that could be quite valuable. Uh, you know, so unless a law is put into place, say with cloning, that specifically says, you know, public or private or otherwise, you cannot do that for purposes of reproduction. You can't do this. Um, you know, that's, that's about the only way to achieve that goal long as it remains outside of federal funding. Um, and, uh, and cloning was, was one of those issues that went before the Spectre subcommittee um, because it was, for many people, uh, a very scary thing when they found out that we cloned a, a sheep. And the next thing you know, we're going to have um, people clones running around all over the place. Uh, you know, and their knowledge was based more on the students here, did you hear about Dolly and she? Did you know what, what have you heard about that? Um, basically, they're able to clone Dolly and she, but um, it wasn't like that the she had stayed at Ori, Dad's Dolly itself. It's more of it had the same genetic DNA, a lot of the same diseases, and she actually died prematurely um, because of all these older age diseases. Um, it was successful in cloning, but it didn't, uh, she didn't. More research has to be done, but now I hear uh, that celebrities are having their pets. Barbara Streisand has a telephone. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it, especially in the private sector, mm -hmm. which is what these people are doing, they're making, I don't know how much it costs to clone your dog. But <laughs> but <laughs> I, I imagine <laughs> it's, it's Streisand. <laughs> Jeff Albert, I have a question sort of mentioned the interface between politics and science. So Spectre obviously is very strongly, was very strongly committed to stem cell research and vigorous stem cell research. Uh, two things are, arise out of that. One is if the U.S. doesn't do it, other countries are going to do it. And it's sort of the U.S.-centric point of view 
gee, you know, we're the only ones who know what we're doing in science, which is obviously baloney, and nobody else in the world can do this competently, so therefore, if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And or if somebody else does it, that's okay. And then the second thing is the political part of it. He's only 21 hearings in Washington, but maybe I'm wrong, but I don't ever remember him campaigning in Pennsylvania vigorously on that issue, going to the T, the Alabama, in quotes, part of the state, and trying to have them understand why this was so important, and therefore they should not only receive or maybe their questions about it, but actually be supportive of what he was trying to do in Washington. So, um, those are two really great comments, and uh, I'd like to talk briefly about both of them. Uh, one is the competitiveness issue. So in comparing the United States to other countries, uh, other uh, democratic countries, um, oftentimes in those countries they have highly centralized science bureaucracies. Uh, that, that definitely do lay out policies that apply both to government research and private research. Um, the U.S. doesn't have something like that, and that gives us a kind of a competitive advantage in that in the private sector you can have innovations maybe that ultimately will make their way into government-funded research, uh, but was originally done outside of it. Uh, it the downside of it, of is this pluralistic idea that everybody gets to have a say in the process, um, you know, where in another country you don't do that. The, the bureaucracy has decided in a democratic fashion that this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to do across the whole country. Um, so there's, uh, there are two edges to this sword um, of, you know, making, making science more public. Um, the second point about the sort of the politics of the tea uh, is a really good point as well, and that's where his activities uh, relative to folks in those areas were very, very different. What stem cell research and biomedical research did was it came to great benefit for Philadelphia and, and Pittsburgh. And uh, I'm uh, astounded that I was in Pittsburgh in 94, and then I was in Pittsburgh in January um, and the changes that I saw over that time uh, and the number of you know hospitals and and uh, research uh, campuses and things like that just tremendous um, you know so that and that's really great you know I I envy uh, Pennsylvania except I live in California and there's plenty of that stuff too uh, but there are a lot of states that would like to have that in their state um, and so. In addressing this more conservative uh, constituency, one of the things that he did that was very interesting to me uh, was try to get himself on the right side of some religious issues, not not the choice issue, but on issues of religious freedom, for instance, uh, and uh, family planning. Uh, one of the things that he funded a lot, which was a real mystery to for a while was abstinence education mm -hmm. because it's it's highly not scientific, which doesn't make sense for him. Uh, it's ineffective. Um, and so I was just like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Well, while I was in Pittsburgh, I had the opportunity to interview or at least talk with 
uh, one of his former staff who worked on these policy issues. And we didn't have much time, and I said, the one thing that I just can't get is why was he funding this abstinence education stuff? And she looked at me and she said, Santoro. Uh -huh. He was funding it to help Rick Santoro. Uh -huh. But it also gave him something that he could go to the key with and say, look, I'm funding abstinence education, and I voted for this religious freedom bill. And so he could appeal to them on that basis. The problem is, as the state, and I'm not a Pennsylvanian, but I think I understand this, as, as the state, like many states, continue to polarize ideologically and in a partisan way, uh, those kinds of efforts just became less and less effective. You know, they wanted to have him come there and say, you know, I'm pro-life and, uh, and sin from the Republican hymnal on that. And to his credit, change his position. Uh, and it, it probably would have helped him anyway, but it worked out just as well about the end of his vote. Uh, you know, he could hopefully pick up in, in the central part of the state and say, uh, but he definitely, and the, the record shows this very clearly, that when he was speaking to those groups, he was talking about one thing, and then when he talked to other groups, he was talking about something else. All, all his positions and, and all of his accomplishments, but just talking about but I think ultimately that you know, the state had changed too much uh, and the politics had changed too much uh, for, for him to be able to continue. Uh, he was, you know, what's, what's the old, uh, there's an old saying, I think it was Jim Hightower, who was the agriculture secretary in Texas years ago. He said, the only thing in the middle of the road is uh, white lines and dead animals. <laughs> and, Ultimately, you know, Spectre wound up in the middle of the road. It's not a good place to be. I just want to point from stem cells to women's issues because of those. Um, for women who cannot afford to have abortions, um, it is not covered by um, general medical funding or Medicaid. So that's again another situation where funding actually affects what's happening, you know, on the ground and people's rights. So I hate to keep on going back to it again, but it isn't science that determines that. And if people who actually need those kind of procedures and people who don't have don't have money to have an expensive doctor do it for them, and they're more at risk of having about to say more at risk of having illegal procedures, which lead to peritonitis and death and all kinds of other effects, permanent uh, sterility. So it wasn't science that was dictating or need that was dictating policy, but it went back to religion was dictating policy yeah. on this. Yeah, so uh, actually part of the way I found my way to stem cells was uh, by way of support that I did on the Hyde Amendment. Hyde Amendment is in an appropriations bill, the Labor H appropriations bill, uh, and it says that government can't spend money by way of Medicaid 
uh, for abortions. And uh, the, the sort of thesis of that work was that this introduced a policy issue into the appropriations process, which is a spending process, introduced a, a policy uh, element in that then began to divide people. Uh, usually, uh, up until you know, at least the mid-70s, uh, the appropriations process was very bipartisan. Uh, you're spending money. That's your job. And your job is not to make public policy. It's to fund the policies that are in place that have been made by other committees. Um, but then the process begins slowly to break down. Uh, it doesn't break down as fast as, as the rest of congressional politics did. Uh, but it begins to break down. And our argument was that the Hyde Amendment provided a kind of a template, a way of going at abortion through the spending process to the point where in the, the omnibus bill, so the, uh, the omnibus appropriations bill is a combination of all of the appropriations bills. Um, and uh, so we passed that, was it uh, just a few months ago? Uh, finally funding government for 2018, which we're in right now. Um, but there are no fewer than 21 abortion-related limitations in that omnibus bill uh, in Commerce, State, and Justice, Labor, H, and Foreign Aid uh, are all areas where you'll find these, these things. And what they did was they took the Hyde strategy and said, oh, well, we could put it here here and here. Uh, we don't even count in here the fact that uh, there is a limitation like that in the defense budget. Uh, so military folks uh, can't get abortions using federal money. Um, and the reason it's not in here is because they actually codified the law in the defense bill. So now it's just a normal part of the defense bill. Uh, but if we were to add that in, we would have even more And so we, as, as we looked at sort of the, the resolution of Hyde, we started to think about other amendments, um, the most famous of which is the, the Dickie Wicker Amendment, um, which I think is a hilarious name, uh, named after two legislators, Dickie and Wicker, uh, one a House member and one a senator at the time. And they wrote into an appropriations bill that you could not use any federal money to uh, keep stem cell research. Um, you know, and that was based on their deeply held convictions, both Republicans, uh, their deeply held convictions about abortion. Um, but it, number one, it was another way to attack the issue of abortion, which was playing to a conservative base, but that has real implications for the science. Um, because all of a sudden now you've launched a hundred other uh, conflicts and controversies around stem cell research that are really based in people's beliefs about abortion. Um, and so, yeah, it, it gets in the way. Depending on what your position is, uh, it either gets in the way in a good way or it gets in the, in the way in a bad way. Um, but it certainly did launch uh, a number of uh, different conflicts, including uh, there are three in the omnibus appropriations bill, three limitations on stem cell research um, that are there precisely for this reason. And 
they're, they're all still in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is the latest bill, and many of these have been in for years. Like Pike has been in uh, the appropriations bill, basically automatically since about seventy six or seventy seven. Uh, there have been modifications as we went to more of an HMO based uh, health provision system. Uh, they had to make some changes to it uh, because Henry Hyde was was very proud of the, the amendment that carried his name. And these things are not without ramifications. We're not just talking theoretically. Mm -hmm. um, we have fallen behind. Um, you're a biology major. Um, what have you heard about the, the stem cell research? Have you studied it at all? Or? Not as far as I'm, I'm a freshman, so we haven't really gotten too much to that. Most of it's just views on how people feel about it at this point. What have you heard about it? Just interesting. Um, Am I correct in saying that you can also do stem cell research through uh, umbilical cords from birth? Mm -hmm. uh, I believe, I think that's one of the things that uh, my family, like when I was born, they froze my umbilical cord for the future in case I may develop cancer or something like that. So I don't, I wouldn't really say I'm for or against stem cell research. I don't have any problem with it because I feel like there's a lot of Unused, like as you said, eggs out there that people feel like they don't want to just have their kids go to other people and they feel like they can donate. I have no problem with that kind of thing. I come from a Christian family and I believe in all kinds of stuff, but I don't think that there should be anything wrong with donating eggs that you feel you won't be using for the greater good of science. Like if I were to have a egg fertilized today that I wasn't going to use and somebody told me that I could help cure cancer with that, I would gladly give it up. I have no problem with that. So I don't see why a lot of other people have a problem with that. And actually the response has been along the lines is if it gets thrown out, it does no good. Yeah. But if it gets used, it actually promotes life. And it has a purpose where it has no purpose in a garbage bin. Well, I also feel like people might, people nowadays see they don't see the side of an unused egg. They, when somebody talks about stem cell research, the image that pops into their head is somebody killing a baby. That's all they see. They don't see unused eggs or people who are actually donating them for stem cell research. All they see is, oh, you killed a baby. So I guess that's the side of the story too. Yeah, I that's never done. I mean, no, 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 yeah. That's not the way it's been informed. And that's the, the problem with This idea of life is expressed. So in, in many Christian backgrounds, the construction is life begins at the moment of conception, um, which then also rules out other techniques uh, like you know creating embryos in a dish in order to use them specifically for scientific research. Well, once that cell has divided once, that's it. It's now a life. Um, and that makes the, the problem even more contentious. Um, and whereas what they're doing it, in, when they do this is that they're, they're allowing this thing to multiply, but not to the point where it's a fetus or anything like that. It's a, a, a cell or something. Um, and then taking that 
Sam's brown bag workers too, because say, oh no, you can't, you can't do that, um, you know, and uh, you know, but the IDF thing, uh, I mean, so our daughter was was conceived by IDF, um, and we had leftover eggs, uh, fertilized eggs, um, and we were asked, do we want to do this? And yeah, we signed a piece of paper, you know, as as luck would have it, um, you know, there weren't any extra eggs um, or, or uh, you know, the fertilized eggs, um, but, you know, yeah, we were willing to do that. Um, and as I recall, and this is now almost 20 years ago, as I recall, it was being a question for us, like, yeah, or if we could do something to help, then help. Um, you know, and, and uh, so-called therapeutic cloning, uh, like what they did with Dolly, only just to get the process started uh, is another way to generate these. Uh, but people are uncomfortable with the term cloning. So the minute you put that word in there, then everybody kind of freaks out. Well, you're not creating a life because this is not an egg that is, is being penetrated by a sperm or any moment of conception in that sense. Uh, and yet the, the religious sensibility is, well, that's still a life. You know, this this is what makes it problematic. Is this this initial moment, the big bang, I guess, uh, this initial moment uh, that everybody's fighting over. You know, what exactly does it mean? And yet, there are cultures out there in the world uh, who, you know, they believe that you know a child is not a child until it's born, and you've waited ten days and you've given it a name. Now it's a child. But up until that point, it's not a child. Um, we have a you know a specific set of beliefs in this country uh, among Christians in that that um, that a life comes from that moment, and that makes things very contentious. Okay, that's my point about complications. We are years behind where we should be, uh, and people have died of cancer, diabetes, Parkinson's. And all these things that we could have made progress in, and nothing was done, or minimal amount was done that could have been done with proper federal research. So the appropriations process is, is so important because where they decide to put the money determines life and death decisions, especially in the health, health arena. And when it's based upon non scientific reasoning, that's very problematic. I just wanted to add, this is Aaron Albert. Um, I remember the discussion we had with the Jefferson medical people because we were talking about doing a stem cell acquisition vaccine. And I thought they had said that they, it was a weird situation in that this restriction, and I don't know if you knew this, Dr. Kelly, um, this, the restriction on the embryonic stem cell research had kind of provoked or motivated scientists to find other kinds of stem cells and that's where the research, and you were saying the umbilical cells, is that correct? Is that yeah, it is, and, it, and it's a kind of a strange byproduct mm -hmm. that you know, necessity becomes the mother of invention, right. and it became necessary because we couldn't do it this way. Um, of course, we, to the extent that we haven't fully explored that avenue, mm -hmm. we don't know, you know whether it might be it's a superior way, right. or maybe it's inferior. 
he doesn't know that for sure. Um, you know, and I think And have other countries done on the embryonic stem cell route or uh, they yeah, they have with with quite reasonable restrictions, not unlike what we impose for um, you know, research with humans or animals mm -hmm. uh, in other settings. Mm -hmm. But th this is the tough nut to crack because you start bringing in words like conception and fetus and the, the debate goes off the rails pretty quickly. So what did Specter, he was the chairman, I think, for uh, this subcommittee for some time. He obviously strongly believed in not having a prohibition. How was, what did he, was it a matter that the subcommittee really had any decisional authority, or was it totally out of the subcommittee's hands at some point? You have 21 hearings, and you're banging your head against the wall, and you're not getting a change, even though he's a big advocate, and obviously went into the medical communities in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh or elsewhere around the country as an advocate for this, but he's not getting a change. Now, obviously, they passed statutes statutes which got vetoed and so forth. So he, something was going on, but the interactions among that subcommittee, did you get some sense in terms of, was he successful in converting people? Was he successful in getting the subcommittee listened to? How did that process work in a political sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he was successful. And um, part of the thing to remember about these political bodies is that sometimes your successes don't come out in necessarily a piece of legislation. It might be the way that that legislation is framed. And so uh, what he was constantly doing, I mentioned Sam Brownback a minute ago, who's a senator from Kansas and uh, current governor of Kansas, uh, very, very conservative. And, uh, you know, he, he was essentially fighting with Brownback to soften up uh, particular language. And Brownback put forward a bill uh, about the outlawing cloning, period. It's outlawed. Um, and Specter really tried to work on him to get him to understand that you could draw this a little bit more narrowly, still allow for the kind of scientific research we want, but also protect humans against uh, cloning which in some people's minds is just inherently a bad thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it ever changed Brownback's mind. Um, but they, so there are these little things that happen that we never necessarily see. And that's, if I could put in one more pitch for the value of archives, uh, is that you can capture that in the written documents. Um, and so you could see what they were doing and how they trying to, uh, at one point, basically play defense, because Brownback had a bill, and he had some support behind it uh, to just try to make sure that his bill didn't pass, um, you know, to protect that one. I believe it was Brownback's bill that won some select doctors and researchers that actually did this, and so he wanted to project about progress. Uh, they were willing to pass that bill, because there's a procedure that can be used the same procedure that's used also to make kidneys and skin tissue and things like that, which is very useful. So 
they were going to pass a law making legal to any of them. Um, and Spectrum was able to have them define the law more specifically that it was just limited to human, actual human cloning. So that research was allowed to proceed on a private level because they were going to outlaw you know, the private level. Because the whole thing was federal funding, but then they tried to outlaw this to make this actually a crime. So that's the other part of the problem. So Spectre did stop that. And, and I guess looking at it, um, that probably was his biggest accomplishment because if that law got passed, then any of this research you're talking about with the umbilical uh, and so forth and your host cell, stem cell now, that wouldn't have taken place mm -hmm. because it would have stopped stem cell completely, mm -hmm. private and public, who wants to get involved and go to jail. So yeah, so that, I guess that answers your question. That, that was, a, in the end, probably the most important accomplishment. Yeah. It, and this is, it's, it's something that, that's never fully appreciated. The legislative process is very complicated. Uh, my wife is a political scientist and not, she doesn't do American politics uh, or legislative politics, but I'm constantly uh, having to explain it to her. Very bright woman. Uh, and she even finds it confusing. But sometimes the, um, intricacies of the, of the process are such that some of your biggest wins are going to be things that nobody ever saw uh, because you're, you're preventing things from happening. Uh, remember, you probably don't, uh, remember Y2K? You guys have no idea. The world was supposed to end. Yes. <laughs> and, and it didn't. And so everybody works on the assumption that, oh, well, they just, you know, they hype that whole thing up. Well, you know, if you go back into the history of it, what you'll find is that people were working really hard to make sure that that, that nothing bad did happen. Um, and, you know, it, stopping stuff from happening doesn't get nearly the credit uh, that it should, because uh, we're always looking for that one big, uh, flashy accomplishment. And, and, you know, and certainly Spectre had his flashy accomplishments. Um, you know, some of them are being reconsidered now. Crime bill in particular, uh, you know, but maybe this is ultimately more important. Wrapping things up, we're going to have the hours gone by quickly. Yeah, it's hard to believe with a college professor talking that you can kill an hour. But it has been uh, has been a pleasure. I just absolutely kind of obsessed with this particular project. And, uh, it, it's a project that I wouldn't be able to do without funding uh, through this program. Uh, you know, it's uh, going to these places, is, it's expensive. Um, and you need to pay for that somehow. And, uh, and it, it's a project that I couldn't have done otherwise. I'm glad we gave you this opportunity. It would be very helpful to you in your research. Thank you very much, Professor. Thank you. Yeah.